0: Okay, all right. I'm glad to see helpers go with them. <laughs> it be a big, big chore for one person. So, Anyway, would you please take your copy of the Word of God and would you turn to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 35 to 38 this morning. Matthew chapter 9 verses 35 uh, to 38. We are deeply engaged with the ministry of Jesus Christ. We're watching how he does ministry. We're watching what he does in ministry, and the whole idea is to be encouraged that we are worshiping the right God, the only God, and that He is who He said He is. But He also wants to call us to be a part of His ministry. And today we're going to be talking about evangelism, and I want to uh, to really focus on that near the latter part of our time together. We we see today uh, how demanding the ministry can be for those who are called to work in the harvest field of lost people. We can see that in uh, just the utter utter exhaustion that Jesus Christ went through in his ministry. Day after day, people uh, coming to him for physical healing, he's hoping they'll understand they need spiritual healing from his as well. But you can imagine if you could heal anybody and heal all these people, you're going to be a busy person. He was exhausted, and it's, it's a demanding ministry. There's times he said, man, let's get, let's get somewhere else so we can pray and rest and you know maybe even have time to eat. We see this in Jesus, and uh, we see a heart of Jesus. When he faces multitudes, whom he said are like sheep without a shepherd, jesus was concerned about the spiritual well-being of people and he wanted to uh, do something about their problem and it's exhausting both emotionally and spiritually to recognize how much people are hurting both spiritually and physically and emotionally i said both there's three there right it reminds me that football coach that said are you guys Let's uh, divide up into, into groups of three. Or he said, we'll pair up in groups of three and go to do this next drill. I, I just did that. Spiritually, physically, and emotionally. The task was so overwhelming that Jesus told his disciples, uh, you need to do this. You need to pray to the Father. And the word in the Greek text is, is strong. It's stronger than just pray. You need to plead with the Father to send workers into the mission field. You need to plead with the Father to send workers into the mission field. Now, the first thing I think of when I hear that is, okay, well, uh, I would feel a little bad if I just am praying that God would send other people into the mission field. What about me? Uh, Should I be in the mission field? All right? So he says, uh, God needs more workers in his harvest. Pray that God would send them. And this is a harvest of lost souls, which brings them into the kingdom of God. He wants us to share the gospel. So the question we have to ask ourselves this morning, I have to ask myself this question. I hope you ask yourself this question. I am not the Spirit of God. I do not convict you. I'm sharing with you what the Bible says, and I've had to deal with it, and I want you to deal with it too, but that's up to you. Nobody can force you. You don't have to do a thing I say, but I'd like you to do things I say that are from the Bible, from the Word of God. So I I come to this the same way you do, listening to God and asking, where am I at in this? Are we reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's our first question. And the first thing we think about is, well, we have a mission board out there, and we have certain missionaries that we're praying for, and we hope they do well in their mission field. And then, you know, then we go home and have a nice meal and don't talk to anybody. The problem is, what are we doing to reach the world with the gospel besides, you know, throwing money at things? And those people are doing ministry. To make it a little more uh, appropriate for us, what are we doing with our neighbors and Jesus Christ? Isn't that really the issue for us? And uh, what are we doing for our county for Jesus Christ? Uh, can we put our finger on and say, these are the things we're doing? And I don't mean as a church necessarily. Uh, this, I think, should be personal for us. What are we doing personally uh, to advance the kingdom of God? Well, we're in Matthew nine thirty-five thirty-eight 38, where Jesus tells them, this is the way you need to plead with God. And he says in verse 35, Jesus was going through all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now, let's, let's just pretend that you had the power to heal whoever needed healing and you started going out and preaching the gospel and you went to every town and village uh, you know, that, that there was in the nation of Israel here in the county maybe and you're doing this every day and you're going out of the county and going to other places. How tired would you be? How exhausted would you be? Uh, Jesus has to be exhausted. I'm just saying that because I think sometimes uh, we may get weary in ministry. and We need to keep going. In verse 36, it says, Seeing the people, he's talking about Jesus, seeing the people, he, that is Jesus, felt compassion for them. And it's really, in in the Greek text, it says, seeing the crowds, there's a lot of people there. And when Jesus looks at people, What he is uh, probably going to do every time is feel compassion for them. The people you work with, the crowds that you're in, when you look at them, what do you see? Uh, Do you feel compassion for other people? Do you feel compassion for people so much that you're going to say, I am going to do what it takes to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them? They are valuable. I think we need a heart like Jesus' heart, and when we see other people, we need to feel compassion for them, and I'm talking basically here because that's what Jesus is talking about, because they are unsaved, and they need a savior, and he says, they were distressed, excuse me, I tried to put two words together, distressed, and they were dispirited like sheep without a shepherd, so uh, I want you to think about that for a minute. They live in Israel. These are villages in Israel. When he sends the guys out in uh, chapter 10, verse 5, and I want you to go out and do ministry, he says, don't go to the Gentiles. Stay with the uh, Jewish people. Go to their towns and their villages. That's who we're reaching first. And so Jesus is doing this, and he says to his disciples here, uh, these people need compassion. And he says, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And I'm thinking, well, God, how can you say that? God and Jesus. How can you say that? What do you mean they need a shepherd? Israel is shot through with scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders. What do you mean they need a shepherd? Ouch. Jesus said they need people that really care about other people. They need, you, you guys need people that uh, care about you and have compassion on you and tell you the truth. And the thing that they didn't do was get you ready for the coming of Jesus, the coming of the Messiah. They didn't get you ready. I don't know what they're teaching, but they're not teaching you what they should teach you. And so that's why Jesus could say, I, I have pity on these people because they're sheep without a shepherd. And they're shot through with shepherds. Turns out they're not really shepherds. Turns out they're not really doing the work of the ministry that they're trying to do. Actually, I had a person come this week, just somebody I didn't know, walking off the street, needed help. And uh, this person said, I drove all over the town of Smith Center. Uh, as Friday, it was Friday morning. And I, he said, I never found one church where anybody was there. You're the only pastor on duty. <laughs> okay, well, I'm glad you came. I think God worked that out. But the point is, uh, where are the shepherds and what are they doing? Are pastors doing what they're supposed to do? Um, I'm going to read some stuff to you later about pastors and their ministry and what's going on in America with that. And uh, the purpose of that will be to encourage you uh, to be a pastor, to be a minister, to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not just uh, people like me that are supposed to do that. It's people like you and me that are supposed to do that. Well, anyway... He saw the people, he felt compassion. What do you see when you see people? Because they're distressed, they're dispirited, and they're like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, I'm saying there's a lot of that today. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So when Jesus looked out on the people, he not only saw people that didn't have a shepherd, that were teaching them the right thing. They also were downcast and downtrodden. And he he said of these people, they're a harvest field. Where are the workers? The harvest field is so great. Do we have enough workers? I'm also going to try to illustrate for you today that we don't have enough workers. And that's going to be from studies that I've done, the statistics that I've done on what's really happening on the mission field, what's happening in the pastorate, what's going on with those things. And the idea is to encourage us to get serious about this. All right, so he says the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Now imagine being one of the disciples and you're hearing him say this and you look out on the crowd and you say, yeah, you know, if it's just us, Uh, This is a big task. And yet, at the end of the last apostle's life, the disciples of Christ, they had come closer to reaching their world at that time than we ever have in the history since then. And I say that as something we need to change. So he says, uh, the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. And finally, he says in verse 38, therefore, beseech, and that Greek word means to ask pleadingly, to petition God, Uh, therefore, petition God, plead with God, the Lord of the harvest, he's in charge of it, to send workers into the harvest. It's like a cousin I had, we were at their house and he was praying for a meal. And he prayed that, it was Sunday, so it was a very uh, very religious prayer. And he said, uh, Lord, be with all the people in the nursing home today that are, that are, <laughs> that are lonely and need someone. Then it got kind of quiet. Then he finished his prayer. He looked up and he said, I know what you're all thinking Am I going to go to the nursing home this afternoon and actually do that? <laughs> you know, am I going to take part in that? Well, uh, that didn't happen, but there's conviction there. Uh, Lord, send people into the harvest, and the Lord might be saying, well, what about you? What are you doing? Because if I'm going to ask other people to go, maybe I should ask him to send me. Well, in verse 35, let's look at that a little closer. We learn that people everywhere need to be exposed to the word of God and his power to save. That's what the harvest field is all about. And you can go anywhere in our town, our county, in the state, and you can see crowds of people who have no shepherd, no true shepherd. They're not telling them how to, how to get into heaven. They're not telling them how to walk with God. They're not, they're not getting them prepared uh, to meet the Lord. And so it's everywhere in our day too. Jesus is doing ministry that the Father ordained for him to do while he was here on earth. And he was doing it. And we've seen many examples already in the the short chapters that we've covered already in Matthew of his activity in the ministry, Uh, and it really got intense starting in chapter 8, verse 1. And he is constantly ministering. He doesn't do anything else. That's all he does. And his threefold ministry from God, the Father, was to teach the Word of God, to proclaim the good news, the gospel, about his kingdom, and to authenticate his ministry by proving that he is who he says he is through mighty deeds of healing and acts of miracles, and he's been doing that. And I am awestruck with the scope of his ministry to people. He does it every single day. Without much context uh, in terms of what's actually going on in each and every town, the, the book says he was going through all the towns and villages Doing his assigned ministry. All the towns and villages doing his assigned ministry. He is also along the way training the disciples to do ministry as well. And by the way, the best way to train a disciple is to take them with you. Let them see how you do something. Let them be involved in that. Then step back and let them do it. And help them with any problems that they come come across. That's what Jesus did in training the twelve. And then he's going to send them out. He says, you're ready for ministry. Chapter 10, verse 5. These 12 Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles, do not enter any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The lost sheep are the ones he's looking at with compassion. And he realizes they have no true shepherds. Uh, I would say one of the things I'm supposed to be doing today is preparing uh, my church for us to get ready to meet the Lord when he comes for us in in the uh, rapture. And I think it's not far off. I just want us to be ready. You know how I want us to be ready? I want us to get serious about spreading the gospel, serious about reaching people for Christ. Don't just live life every day. Attack it for Jesus Christ. But that will be up to you and God. Okay, why train others? Why try to pack the mission field, Jesus? Why isn't Jesus enough for the task? Lord, what do you need us for in the first place? you can do this. In fact, as one of the judgments in Revelation, so that all the earth can hear the gospel, God sends an angel out to proclaim the gospel over the whole earth. And that'll be the first time ever that everyone in the world is going to receive the gospel message. In other words, God, if you can use an angel, what do you need us for? You know, he doesn't need us, but he's invited us to be a part of what he's doing on earth. And if you don't do that, What do you have to show for yourself? What's on your resume at the end of time when God is going to bring you in for your personal judgment and bring me in for mine? Well, the next verse is going to answer that question. And the question is, why, why aren't you enough for that? Or why are you not doing that yourself on your own? What we need to understand is that what the Father sent Jesus to do, Jesus has also sent us to do. So the answer to the question is because God told us to because that's what God wants us to do. And that doesn't matter whether I'm a farmer or a teacher or whatever I am, I'm to be doing this. It says in Matthew 28 verse 19, the last words that Matthew records to the disciples from Jesus, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. It's not just the Jews now, it's everybody. Make make disciples of all the nations. The first step in becoming a disciple is becoming a believer and then baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe, that is to obey, all that I command you. And by the way, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We're not alone in this ministry. We're never alone. Jesus will go with us. And if you step out in faith and you take one step in his direction to do what he wants you to do, he will lend you the power of heaven uh, to do that. Well, the issue, of course, is are we doing it? Now, let's look at verses 36 down through verse 38. And in this, we're going to learn that people need a shepherd who will care about the needs of those who don't know Jesus. Shepherds do other things. They care about the flock. They take care of the flock. But they also need to have a concern and a care for those who do not know the Savior. That's what we see in Jesus right here. There's a compassion that ought to stir in our souls. In verse 36a, when Jesus looks at the unsaved, notice how he looks. He deeply cares for them because they are, and now I'm I'm using some of the uh, other definitions for some of these Greek words, because they are harassed and dejected. They need true shepherds. They're harassed and dejected. When Jesus looks at unbelievers and then he sees believers next to them, what Jesus wants is for the believers to go tell them about the hope they have in Jesus. To tell them this life is not all that there is, there's way more to it than this, and you need to prepare for that. The word used to describe Jesus' feelings about those who need the message is that he felt a deep inner compassion. The Greek word has the idea of not just compassion, but an inner compassion, one that comes from here, we say from our hearts, and one that is deeply ingrained in us, and it's a compassion for them. So I have to ask, you have to ask, do you just care about your friends and the lovely people? Or do you care about anybody God brings into your path? Do you have compassion for them? Are you willing to spend time with people that nobody else is willing to spend time with? Are you willing to uh, disciple them, to reach them? Is, is that really what's in your heart? Well, it was in the heart of our Savior, and obviously I think it needs to be in ours. Uh, that word means that we from our innermost being should have compassion on these people no matter what they look like on the outside or what they're doing or what they're caught up in or what's happening with them. Now that doesn't mean that everyone who heard Jesus Christ uh, cared to take him at his word. That's not going to be true. And it'll be true with you. Not everybody talked to is going to trust Christ as Savior. It means he often cares for people more than they care about themselves. I think that's a part of ministry. Do you really care about people more than they care about themselves. See, I don't know that some people care about their eternity. They don't care where they're going. You should care. I should care. And in that way, we would care more for them than they even know to care for themselves. Some people don't even know or believe that there's a hell. Uh, They believe everybody gets to go to heaven, but that's also going to be a surprise for people. He cared for people more than they cared for themselves. He saw their need. He saw their souls. What do you see? What do I see? Jesus saw the need of people. They were weary or harassed. Now I'm describing the meaning of some of those words in that text. They were feeling dejected. And that word means that they were cast down in spirit, they were depressed. Or they had downcast eyes. Usually when a person's depressed, say clinical depression, you can tell because they have a sad affect on their face and they just look sad. You ask them, do you feel helpless or hopeless? They say, yeah, yeah, I feel helpless. I feel hopeless. And uh, those kinds of issues go along with depression. Jesus says, these are the people I'm looking at. They're like people who have no hope. Somebody that's depressed needs hope. That's what they need. And these people didn't have it. And the question is, who did this to them? They were also dispirited, which conveys someone thrown down with a forceful motion. It means they uh, have been thrown away to the ground. It can refer to someone who is suffering from an attack on their conscience. What comes out here is that these people are suffering from emotional distress as well as with some physical ailments and maladies, and certainly, spiritually, they don't get it. They don't have it where's their shepherds? Jesus says they don't have any. Jesus healed the people of physical sickness, of dismemberments, uh, of any kind of uh, ailment you can think of, but he also healed their mental illness problems, psychological problems, and uh, emotional issues, I'm saying, and their demonic issues, wherever he went. In doing these things, Jesus was authenticating his true identity as Messiah God, and we trust that. We believe he is, and we're going to follow him, and we're going to We're going to lean on the Spirit of God for the power to do our ministry. In verse 36b, what was the problem not addressed for these multitudes? The answer is Jesus diagnosed the problem and the cause of them being sheep without a shepherd. God is not interested in religious people. He certainly isn't interested in religious shepherds. God is interested in people who have a true heart for him, who truly belong to him, and serve him because they love him. That's what God's interested in. Not somebody playing church or playing pastor or playing priest or whatever else you have or bishop, whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Dr. Louis Barbieri said this, it bears repeating, there are people maligned by their religious leaders, helpless before them, wandering about with no true spiritual guidance. That describes a lot of places in America. No true spiritual guidance. We're so interested in filling the pews, not, in, not making anybody upset, not telling them something they don't like to hear, that we, we accept things into the world, like the sexual revolution. We accept the feelings of the world about what's right and what's wrong, because we don't want to lose our numbers. That is not a shepherd. If you don't believe that, read Ezekiel chapter 37, chapter 34. See what God says about uh, pastors and preachers and teachers that are not what he wants them to be. So these are people who are being tended, Jesus is going to say, by ravenous wolves and not being protected from them. What Jesus is saying is that uh, the people that he's speaking to were fleeced, they weren't fed. They were fleeced, they weren't fed. Had the priests, the Levites, the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, all who pretend to be religious people prepared the people through the right teaching and an example of the coming and acceptance of Messiah, we wouldn't be here. But that's where the people are. Did they do that? No. Were they prepared? No. Someone wrote a Christmas letter, or it was Noel wrote a Christmas letter and sent it out to people. She said something about the soon return of the Lord. A guy that I went to seminary wrote a handwritten letter back, at the bottom of his newsletter, and he said, I needed to hear that about the Lord could be coming soon. Now, how can you say that? You have a seminary degree. Uh, you, why, do, why don't you know that? Well, he was uh, in a different profession all of his life, but he needed to hear it again. He wasn't prepared by somebody. The condition of Israel's people is pitiable. It's heartbreaking to the Messiah. Does it break your heart to see people that aren't going to hell, aren't going to heaven, excuse me? (laughs) Can we run that backwards on the tape somehow? People that are going to hell, does it get to your heart? They're not going to heaven. The condition is pitiable. In verse 37, as he looked at the masses, he proclaimed that the harvest is plentiful. There's a lot of people out there to hear the gospel, but the workers are few. So I have to ask, and you have to ask, I wonder how we are doing as harvest hands uh, for the father he's already sent us into the fields how are we doing how are we doing with that the harvest stands for people whose souls need a savior the harvesters are believers like you and i who can and should be carrying out the message of the kingdom the message of salvation how are we doing that are we doing that is is working in awana enough for us is working with a youth group enough for us or are we doing other things the harvesters need to be out there. And Jesus is pointing out there's no lack of work for the harvesters. Okay? I've seen harvesters pull into town out of McDonald's and all the wheat's cut. No reason to stay. There's nothing there. That's not the case with us. It's never the case with us. There's always people who need to hear about Jesus. So he's pointing out that there's a lack of workers. Just look at humanity. How many there are? We're close to 8 billion in the world. Do you, do I have compassion for the lost? I mean, way deep down inside, do you look at a crowd of people at a ball game and have compassion? Because you know there's folks there who don't know Jesus. Would you be willing to give your life to help meet that need? That's a big question. And I guess the next question would be what are you willing to give? And I'm not talking about money. What am I willing to give? In verse 38, Jesus said, we should ask, the word is plead with the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into the harvest. I wonder how many people Jesus has called and they said, no, I've got something else to do. Notice, and I'm not talking about full-time ministry either, just called you to do some ministry where you're at, which is why he put you where you're at. Notice that the father is the Lord of the harvest. It's his harvest. It isn't mine but he's chosen to involve us in the most glorious work known to man. And that is taking somebody like Jace Roberts did and taking six hours if they'll listen and share what Jesus means to me, what Jesus did for me, and he can do it for you. doesn't even know this person. I've been shocked at how many times people will listen to me that don't even know me. In a hospital setting, Uh, I got into a hospital and Noelle had her her cancer surgery down in Wesley and uh, big waiting rooms. People in there with all kinds of problems in terms of uh, families waiting for surgeries and stuff. I just started going around and asking a family, you know, they group up. I guess I said, I'm a pastor, (laughs) Uh, they didn't know who I was, I don't know why you'd trust me, but I said, I'm a pastor, could I pray for your, your person in surgery, would you tell me about that? Never got turned down. I think people are needing compassion, right? So anyway, the Father will call and send out workers. But are those he's going to call, are they accepting the call to obey it? Has God called you where you work to share the gospel? Have you done it? Should I just pray that he sends others into the mission field, or am I including the possibility that he may send me? Or that he's already sent me, and I didn't go. Whatever the case might be for us. All right, now I'm going to switch out of the text here. I'm just tell you that. And uh, again, it is not my job to convict you of anything. Okay? I always write my sermons to myself first. I'm not going to get angry with anybody. I'm not going to yell at anybody. I'm not going to, you know, make you feel bad because you're not doing something. I'm just sharing with you what, what God helped me find in my study. That's all. That's all I'm doing. So if you feel pressure from me, that's wrong. Uh, you just for yourself, you just take this information and you look at it and you say, okay, what, what does that mean to me? So I've uh, titled section three, how do you think we're doing in reaching our world for Jesus? So at least what I want you to get from this is not that you memorize the statistics that I'm going to give you, but that you are motivated to do something. That's all, all right? Uh, God God deals with each of us. I'm not, I'm not that. I'm just sharing with you. I want to share some statistics with you from my research about this issue we're talking about. And the first one is about pastors. So I'm talking about pastors in pastoral ministry as senior pastors in America, okay? And that's where these statistics come from. I have all the documentation for this if you want it. I can photocopy it for you. So this is statistics on pastors, senior pastors of churches in the United States. Tell me what you think later. There are anywhere between 31,352 pastors in the United States to maybe 50,000. I don't know why we can't pin that down until you read the statistics and then you know. The average mean age of a pastor today is 54. Now recently I turned 54, more recently 64, (laughs) but I've been there, okay? 24% of them stay in a church 1 to 2 years. 23% of them stay 11 years or over. 38% of senior pastors are thinking of quitting the ministry. 50% are age 56 or older. All they're saying is that the pastor is getting older. We need some young people, all right? <laughs> Think about that, okay? 4,000 churches open in America each year. Wonderful. At the same time, 7,000 churches close every year in America. Last year, 1,500 pastors left the ministry every month. 1,300 pastors were terminated every month. Get this, last year, over 3,500 people left the church every day last year. 3,500 people packed it up on the church and said, not for me, every day. That's what it works out to. 80% believe the pastorate has negatively affected their families. Moral values of Christians today are no different uh, than those who consider themselves non-Christians. 54% of pastors find the role of pastoring overwhelming. 40% report serious conflict with a parishioner at least once a year. I'm sorry, number nine. 35% 35% of pastors battle depression or fear of inadequacy. 70% of pastors report having a lower self-image than when they than, than when they began their pastoring ministry. So what that tells you is the church's uh, ministry of humbling the pastor. It's working. All right. The profession of pastor. <laughs> two people thought that was funny. Right, thank you for that. Okay. Nor um, was I. The profession of pastor is near the bottom of a survey. I hate to even tell you this of the most respected professionals. They have lists of the most you know, respected professionals. Yeah, medical doctors and stuff are way up there. Lawyers aren't. But guess where pastorate is? The pastors are right above car salesmen. And uh, so I, I'm going to really start playing up car salesmen, kind of raise me up a little bit there. Anyway, many denominations are reporting an empty pulpit crisis. Uh, their words, not mine. They do not have a shortage of ministers, but they have a shortage of ministers desiring to fill the role of pastor. So that's what we're focused in on there. They don't want to do it. One out of ten pastors, this is amazing, one out of ten pastors will actually retire uh, as a pastor. The other nine don't. What's going on in our mission fields? And I'm switching from pastors and talking about the problem there. I want to talk about our mission field in the world and here. Uh, in ministries, okay, of all kinds, Christian ministries, there are 4.19 million full-time Christian workers. And get this, 95% are working within the Christian world. 95% of those in ministry are working in the Christian world. All right, that's a problem, right? Money, this is kind of hard to wrap our minds around if I can say the numbers right. Money given to Christian causes, $896 billion a year. To Christian causes, okay, Americans have recently spent, according to Claude Hickman, more money buying, uh, buying more money buying Halloween costumes for their pets than the amount given to reach unreached people groups in the world. That's also how much we spend in America on Christmas. Money given to Christian ministries of any kind, eight hundred and ninety-six billion. That which is then given to missions. 52 billion and that's only 5.78 percent of the money given to christians uh, christian causes of any kind in 2022 now i left out some stuff here but this is an interesting statistic interesting sad statistic uh, because the way he laid it out he says if you're doing the math and realize that 59 billion is missing uh, this is where it went it was embezzled by pastors and other church leaders Fifty-nine million of what's given to the church in America is embezzled. For every $100,000 that a Christian makes, they give $1. seventy to the unreached of the world. All right, who are they? And I'll try to hurry this up um, so we don't have throngs of children out there wondering what happened to their parents. Tribal people in the world, there's 714,108,000 in population. Those people have 11,900 missionaries trying to reach them. You know what that is? That's one person, one missionary for every 60,000 of them. In the Hindu population, there's 984,532,000 in population with 5,500 missionaries. That's one missionary for every 179,000. Of unreligious people, the unreached, sometimes we'll call those the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, there's 831,267,000 population with 11,700 missionaries. That's one missionary for every 71,000 of the uh, unreligious. In the Muslim, and that's how you say it in the world, not Muslim, Muslim world, there's 1,703,146,000 population with 4,200 missionaries. That's one missionary for every 405 1,500 Muslims, Buddhists, 520 million, 2,000 in population, they have 2,000 missionaries right now, that's one for every 260,000 Buddhists, and that will stop with that on, on different people groups, you can see there's a need, right, about 400,000 missionaries are serving in the world today, of which 97% go to people who have heard about Jesus. Only three percent are going to the forty percent. They call it the ten forty window, uh, latitude and longitude. Uh, they, the forty percent of the world. Uh, let me start over because I'm even confused. Only three percent are going to the forty percent of the world that has never heard about Jesus. That is one missionary for every two hundred and fifty thousand who have never heard of Jesus. There are three billion who have not heard of Jesus. There are 7.9, at this time anyway, billion people in the world. So I ask you as my family here, how are we doing with the great commission God has given us to do? What would our church look like if we broke it down and knew what each person was doing to reach the world? I don't have an answer to that, but uh, we want to be responsible for the Lord for that. And so I want to challenge you as God has challenged me. What are we doing? What are we doing? I just put out on my Facebook account another plea for the gospel. Uh, it hasn't done as well as the others. I only have 375 views. I've had gone over 2,000 in the last. It might be because I told people, some of you are acting like Christians you aren't really. <laughs> so that may have turned some people off. But the point is, we've got to get serious. We've got to get serious with the gospel. So let me end with these applications. Number one. We are commanded here to plead with God to send more harvesters into the harvest field because the work is overwhelming. Number two, the nuns in America, those are the N-O-N-E-S, they have no religion, are are the third largest constituency in the United States, eclipsing Catholics and Baptists combined. Friends, we need missionaries in America. We are one of the largest receiving nations of missionaries in the world. Africans are coming here to try to reach us. And then the last thing in uh, Jeremiah 3, <clears throat> 15, and then we'll close, unless I find some other stuff to talk about. Jeremiah three fifteen says, Then I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. So, my point is, we have a lot of young people here. Have you considered Christian ministry? Is that even on your radar? Uh, There's people that need uh, good good shepherds, and they need good Christian leaders in every area. Have you considered becoming a full-time missionary for Christ? Um, our missions uh, professor, one of them in Dallas Seminary, in our class, he said how ashamed he was of us, he said, you guys come here and you just want to get into a big church somewhere, he said, that's wrong, you're in sin, you should say, Lord, I'm going to the mission field and if you don't want me there, you, you stop me. And he went on for 30 minutes in our class about that, stop me. He said, you're wrong in saying, I'm going to go out into a church where there's already Christians, you need to go to the mission field. You need to say, I'm going, and if, and if If you stop me, that's the only way I'm not going to go. I never forgot that. Also ended up in a church, right? The need around us is overwhelming. What are we going to do about it as individuals and as a church? I ask that along with you and the sermons for me too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there is such a need. I ask that you would do two things for us. Help us to work the mission field that you have given us and be willing to go to more if you call us. We pray that you would send people into the harvest field before your coming and the great and terrible day of the Lord is upon us. Help us, Lord Jesus, to live the way we're supposed to live so that our lives are also a testimony. And Father, we want to pray that you would would raise up shepherds that actually care about their people. And the truth. And if you call us to go, I pray, Father, that you would give us the courage and the faith to actually go. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs>